Well, good morning. We're continuing on in our series called Risen this morning. We're finishing it up. Uh, this is a series we started back at Easter, looking at uh, appearances, encounters of the resurrected Jesus with different people, people who were brokenhearted, people who were doubting, people who were in pain, and people who needed redemption. And today, we're looking at, uh, this last one we're looking at is the encounter of the risen Jesus with Saul. And if, if you know, if you've been in the church for a while, you know scripture, you know that uh, this is Saul who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at this encounter of the resurrected Jesus with this guy Saul and how what it leads to is a new direction for his life. And it completely and radically reorients Saul's life. Saul was a member of the Pharisees, which was a religious kind of ruling party in Israel. They worked hand in hand with the Roman Empire that was there to to make sure that people were kept under control, to make sure that they obeyed the the Torah, the law that had been handed down from from God to Moses to the people. They made sure that the Pharisees made sure to squash any rebellions that the people might have tried to bring up because they wanted to keep control, they wanted to keep things calm. And and they, like I said, they worked hand in hand with the Roman government. And, and Paul, or Saul, as he was called at this time, was, was a member of this, this group. And, and one of his passions was to make sure that the people were obeying the law in such a way that by being righteous, they would prepare Israel to bring back or to bring the Messiah, to bring God's kingdom to bear on earth. So he, so he was a stringent adherent of the law because they believed that if they did this and they did it well, that God would come back and rule Israel in person and that they would be freed from Roman occupation and the like. And what we see is that Saul, because of his, his knowledge, because of his great training that he had had under, under other Pharisee leaders, uh, that he was given power and given authority. He was given permission to persecute the church. He hated Christians he hated Christians because they were, they were this cult that had formed out of Judaism. They were this cult that was adulterating the Torah, the law. They were, they were going away from keeping it the way that he thought they should be keeping it. And he wanted to do everything he could to stop it. So much so that we see in the book of Acts, where we see what's happening in the apostles' lives after Jesus, we see that Saul is persecuting them. Uh, Luke, who wrote that book, says that Saul was going from house to house and pulling men and women out of their homes and, and putting them in prison, jailing them, persecuting them. We see that he also is standing around watching when the first martyr in the church uh, is killed, Stephen. It says that he's standing there and, the, and the, the men are taking off their robes, maybe so they could get a better throwing arm, as sick as that is. And they're handing and they're putting their robes at Saul's feet. And he's protecting them like a proud young man, watching this happen. So he hates the church. He hates the idea of Jesus because it's an adulteration of the law. But what we know, right, if you, if you know scripture, if you've heard this story before, you know that he has this dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road, it's called. We know that it radically changes his life, that God gets a hold of his heart and completely changes him. And we're going to look at that today. <clears throat> And see how it transformed his life, and his purpose, and his self-image. That this persecutor of the church, this persecutor of Jesus, who probably celebrated Jesus' death, was transformed. And eventually started going by a new name, with a new purpose, with a new image. 
becomes the Apostle Paul, the most celebrated pastor, missionary, church planter in the history of the church. He writes like two-thirds of the New Testament, as we know it, the letters to the churches and to pastors. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't want you to fall into the trap right now of thinking, well, that's, that's Saul, that's the Apostle Paul, and his life is just so amazing that, that I, this has no relevance for me. And rather than looking at the extravagance and the, and the craziness of, of his life post-conversion, what I want you to think about is the fact that if God could do that in Saul's life, if God could do that and change him, a murderer, a persecutor of the church, if he can do that in his life, what can he do in your life? How can he give you new purpose, new direction, new image, and new identity in Jesus? So that's what we're going to look at today. And I don't know where you're at on your faith journey. I don't know if you've been a Christian for a long time and you feel like you're in a good place and, and everything's good. You don't need new direction. That's fine. I hope that an encounter with Jesus confirms your direction. Or maybe, like Saul, you're not following Jesus at all. You might not be out on the Damascus Road persecuting Christians, uh, but, but maybe you're trying to build righteousness on earth. Maybe you're trying to bring heaven to earth through your good deeds, through your religious behavior or legalism. I pray that today is an encounter with Jesus for you. Or maybe you are following Jesus and you're just looking for a clear sense of direction. That you're longing for, where, where is Jesus calling me? What is he calling me into? Well, I think today, when we look at this story of Saul's life, of an encounter with the risen Jesus, we, we will see these different things. And we'll see that an encounter with the risen Jesus, which we can still have, gives us clearer direction. It either confirms it or gives us new direction and new purpose and new life. So, if you have a copy of the scriptures... Would you turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9? If you, don't, if you don't have scriptures, I think we might have some in the back. If not, that's okay. You can, you can listen along. In this, in this story where we're picking it up today, is this is a couple chapters after Stephen is martyred. And what happens at the martyrdom of Stephen is the church scatters from Jerusalem. They run to Damascus. They run to Antioch. And they're like, we have to get out of Jerusalem. We have to get away from this guy, Saul. This is a disaster waiting to happen. We can't be here. We're going to be killed. So they flee all over the region. And then this happens in chapter 9, verse 1. You can pick up there. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Because the Christians were still hanging out around the synagogues. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who belonged to Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, and he says, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Now listen to this, imagine this. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, that's not the Judas, this is a different Judas, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, you've got to be kidding me. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's like, listen, I know this guy. I'm not going there. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord answers Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. And before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? the chief priests, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So it's this incredible, incredible encounter that Saul has with the risen Jesus, and it completely changes his life. And I want to look at a couple different things today that I think we can garner from this for our own lives as we walk with Jesus. So first is this, an encounter with the risen Jesus gives us new life. It gives us radical new life. The sum total of this encounter that Saul has with Jesus is that he comes away with a new lease on life, right? Any of us, think about it. If we were in this situation, any of us would have chosen to strike Saul dead. If we had our way, like think about it. If if, if there was a man in Bethlehem, excuse me, who was persecuting our church, this church, who was going from community group to community group and pulling out men and women and putting them in prison, persecuting people, murdering them in the street, what would our prayer be? Right? Like, we would want him taken out. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'm giving you a new life. I'm giving you a brand new start. You're starting over. Jesus appears to him and just complete grace gives him new life. Jesus' ways are not our ways, thank God. But here's the even deeper truth that I think applies to him and to each and every one of us, that Jesus doesn't belabor the point with Paul about his past with Saul about his past, about his insidious actions against the church. He does confront him. He says, why are you persecuting me? I'm the one you're persecuting. So definitely he he confronts him with his sinful behavior, with with his past, with his actions. But he doesn't leave it there. He confronts him with the truth, and he knows and Saul knows that he needs to change directions. But Jesus doesn't bring it up over and over again. He says, You've done this. Now, go and do this new thing. I'm calling you to this new life. Friends, that's one of the the best pieces of good news that we can have. That when Jesus calls us, he calls us to new life, and he doesn't doesn't belabor our past. I told you, I've got a cold. He doesn't keep going over it over and over again. So I think, I think we have to face our sins. I think Jesus confronts us with them but he calls us out of them into a new life.
If you are in a place in your life where you keep hearing about your past, where you keep hearing about things that you've done and it keeps coming up with guilt and all the the guilt that's associated with that, that's not Jesus. That's the enemy. Jesus calls us into a new life of freedom and a clean slate. If you're hearing that, it's the enemy. Jesus loves you and wants to give you a new life. And that's, church, that's good news every day. That's good news every day. If you've been following Jesus forever, or if you're on the fence about this whole thing, that's good news every day that we get to live a new life. Now, if, if you've not dealt with your past, if you've not dealt with, with things in your life that, that were sinful, that were wrong, which we all have, every one of us, and moved on by it, from it, then, then by all means, do that. There's great healing found in confessing our sins, in, in being done with them. John says that, that when we confess our sins to one another, that Jesus is faithful, that he makes us righteous, he covers us with his blood. In that same book, he says that we become friends with God, we become children of God, we become righteous when we confess. There's something dramatic that happens when we confess and do away with our sin like that from our past, and we walk away from it. It brings us righteousness and freedom. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have baggage that hangs on. And if there's stuff that you can't seem to get rid of, maybe you need to see a counselor. There's nothing wrong with that, to go and talk through these things and get rid of them and process through them. Or maybe you need to emotionally or verbally tell the enemy where he can go in the name of Jesus and gain some freedom. There's health in that. There's power in that. But for certain, Saul is an example to us of how the risen Jesus encounters us in our sin confronts it, calls us out of it, and then moves on. He moves on. So that's why Saul, later called Paul in 2 Corinthians, can tell the church, hey, God isn't counting our sin against us anymore. It's over. He made Jesus our sin. We become righteous. The old is gone. The new has come. New creation. And he walks in freedom Friends, Jesus came to this earth. He took our sin upon himself and bore it to the point of death on a cross. And in his resurrection, God deemed our past and our sin gone and forgiven and gives us the spirit to live within us and enables us and guides us to more and more freedom. Not slavery, more and more freedom from sin. I think in our walks with Jesus... I think that this does, this does maybe really begin with, with a big encounter of some sort that continues in smaller ways over time. But some kind of encounter, some kind of one-time massive, you know, life-encompassing confrontation with and then confession of our sin, our crap, the stuff that we've got going on in our lives, realizing that our entire life up to that point has been all about self, has been all about making righteousness on earth by our own means, all about making our own heaven on earth all about empty religion, full of pride and sin. But from then on, when we do that, after that one, that, that, that first major encounter with Jesus like that, we then have regular interactions, regular encounters with the risen Jesus, where we're convicted of sin that's in our lives that we haven't unearthed, that we haven't encountered before. We've got to deal with this. It still happens. But here's the thing. We confess them because we want more and more life, not because of guilt. You understand? We confess them because Jesus says, I've got life for you. I have more life for you. Walk away from that. 
Be done with that. Not because, not because we're like, oh, Jesus is mad at me. Like, he loves you. He's given us new life, and we get to walk in that without fear of condemnation. We believe that a confessional life is actually a life of freedom. So I, I've shared this before, and I'll continue to share it for the glory of Jesus and so that I can continue walking in newness of life. Uh, I struggled for years with pornography addiction. And, and it took out loud confession of that to break the power of it. And I've walked in what I would call newness of life for, I don't know, like 10 years at this point. However, what also accompanies is that is, is, is this temptation that keeps coming back. It's still there. It's not gone completely. But what it means, because I found newness of life and freedom in Jesus, is that I can call somebody and say, yeah, would you pray for me? I'm not ashamed. Like, this is how I'm tempted. But I'm not ashamed to call somebody and say, look, I've got newness of life. I'm free. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks about that. This is, this is who I am. You know what? But I'm also a child of God, and I'm free. So I can walk in newness of life and confess that and say, hey, you know what? Help me with this. Just pray for me. Check up on me tomorrow. Make sure I haven't done anything stupid. Right? So, but I can walk in strength, not condemnation. This is what it means to walk in newness of life. This is what it looks like to confess. This is what it looks like to be confronted with our sin and say, okay, I'm done with this. Forgive me, Jesus. Move on with me. Give me strength. So what we see in this interaction with Saul is, is that the risen Jesus confronts him with his sin of persecuting the church, confronts him with his self-righteousness, and calls him out of it and says, I'm giving you new life. The old has gone. But here's what you need to notice about this encounter. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It didn't happen alone. Do you see that? That it took, it took Saul being weak in the presence of others to grasp what Jesus was doing. It took him being blinded and weakened. It took him walking with people guiding him to Damascus. It took Ananias coming and laying hands on him. He didn't do it alone. So to me, again, there's something in being with a group of fellow Christ followers who will speak truth into our lives and say, you're a child of God, walk in freedom. You're a child of God, walk in newness of life. So friends, again, his mercies are new every morning. Today's the day to be free, to be done with guilt, and to live in the freedom of new life with the risen Jesus. Allow Jesus to encounter you, to speak to you about hidden sin issues that are buried deep in our minds and in our hearts, your lack of belief, lack of pride, but move on from there and confess it to someone. Can I encourage you to do that out loud? Like, there, you break the power of Satan when you confess stuff out loud. He can't hold you in it anymore because you're like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. Please forgive me. Will you walk with me in this in newness of life? Satan can't control it anymore because you brought it into the light. But it is a type of dying. It feels terrible to do it. It hurts to confess. But what Paul says is that when we die like that, when we die to self like that, we actually are resurrected with Jesus and we walk in newness of life. So can I encourage you to do that today? To walk in the newness of life, to be done with your past life, confess it, move on and know that Jesus loves you and every day he gives you new life. And that's exactly what he did for Saul, this this murderous persecutor of Jesus himself. He says, I love you. I'm for you. Be done with that. Move on into newness of life. Okay, so... Saul goes on from there, and we see that this encounter actually starts to give him a new purpose, this new direction in his life. So he's established as a, as a, as a new life, as a new creation, and then he has a new purpose. Look, look again at Acts 9. 
verse 15 and 16. What, what does Saul do? Uh, look at kind of the second half of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished. And then go on to 19, uh, to, yeah. Oh yeah, I skipped that. Sorry, 15 and 16, if you go back there. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Saul has this encounter with Jesus and Saul says, I mean, Jesus says to Saul, you're my guy. You're the one I've picked to be where you are. I've given you the experiences that I have for a reason. You now have a new purpose to go and make me known, to know me and to make me known to the world around. And it's through Ananias that Jesus reveals this to Saul. And it begins to make sense to him that that his whole life has led up to this moment. That he's just the right guy to go and preach to the Jewish people there in Damascus. And in that Jewish part of the world to reveal to them the truth about the Messiah. And then even more so we see that Saul goes on from there because he realizes and God confirms in him, you're my guy to go to the Gentiles as well. You're my guy to go and give this to the Roman Empire and to tell them that there's a new king in town. And it's Jesus. All of his training and theology and background and the way he was wired and, and the way his mind thought prepared him for this moment. And then his encounter with the risen Jesus, it all coalesces into a new purpose there in Damascus, to know Jesus and to make him known. And that purpose goes on from Damascus to Antioch. He pushes, God continues to call Saul further and further into the Roman Empire. And he eventually goes to Antioch, and they train him there, and he goes out with Barnabas to start planting churches all over the region. He has this dynamic ministry that we are the fruit of even today. But here's what I want you to think about. This mandate, this purpose that God gives Saul is not just for him. It wasn't just specific to Saul then or now. It was was the call for the whole church to go and make Jesus known. You understand that? Like if you look at Matthew 28, John 20, Acts 1, they all point to the same purpose for followers of Jesus, to know Jesus and to make him known. We see that it starts with the 11 disciples who are remaining, and Jesus says, you're going to go and you're going to tell people about me. And then we see that it stretches to Stephen. Then we see that it stretches to Philip. We see that it stretches to Priscilla. We see people going and planting churches. We see people spreading the gospel everywhere that we go. Then it gets to Saul. Then it, I mean, it goes on and on down the line. This isn't just for Saul because he's some like magical apostle. Right? God chose him vocationally to go and plant churches, but this is the call for all. This is the purpose for all followers of Jesus, to know him and to make him known. A lot of times this, this question of purpose as Americans, we come to this and we, and we associate it with position or with our jobs. And we're like, what's my, what am I supposed to do, Jesus? What am I supposed to do? What's my job supposed to be? And I don't, I don't know if you do that. I, I have done that multiple times in my life. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is a bigger purpose than that, a, 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 or maybe an underlying purpose in this, that Jesus is giving Paul, is giving Saul. This purpose of making Jesus known is, is for every Christ follower, whether you're 35 or 85 whether you're working a job or you have no job, whether you can't work because of a disability, whether you're a stay-at-home dad or mom, whether you're dying, whether you're young, old, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whether you're in school, 
whatever, living in poverty, living in wealth, the call, the purpose is the same, to know Jesus and to make him known. The purpose is bigger than our vocation. Our vocation is just one of many ways that Jesus chooses to work out his purpose specific in our lives. The purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known is is it gives meaning to our past. It gives meaning to our profession or our position, and even to our pain, I would argue. So this encounter, and an encounter that we have with Jesus, gives purpose to our relationships, to our jobs, to our geography, to our family, to our gifts, to our talents, and so forth. Think about this. Saul goes from Damascus to Antioch. Do you know who was in Antioch? The Christians who had fled Saul's persecution in Jerusalem. So they go and they coexist together for some time. And they're discipling Saul. And they're training him and they're preparing him to go and plant churches. Again, put yourself in that scenario. You saw Stephen be martyred, you fled the church, and Saul shows up at your doorstep and is like, I need help. Walk with me. The only thing that can make that happen is the purpose of God was bigger than their pain. The purpose of knowing the gospel and making the gospel go forth in the kingdom trumped their pain. It was bigger than it. So they were able to sustain relationship in the midst of that. Now, could they have used some healthy counseling? Most likely. Could they have used some mediation? Probably. Like, it's not like it just everything just magically disappears. You've got to work through stuff. But the purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known was bigger than all of that baggage. So they were able to do that together and train Saul and Barnabas and send him out. The other thing I find fascinating is that when Saul encounters Jesus in this way, Jesus doesn't say, okay, all that training you've had, all the way you're wired, the things that you love, your experiences, forget about it. I'm calling you to something new. No. He actually takes the way that Saul was wired, all of his training, all of his experience, and says, you're the perfect guy for this job at this time. I want you here. I want you to go to these places. I want you to do these things. You have kingdom purpose. So this same Saul would go on to plant churches all over the region. But this purpose of of knowing Jesus and making him known is applicable to all who call Jesus Lord, to all who follow him. And can I say, in their normal lives, like nowhere in scripture does it say everyone should be pastors. Everyone should be career missionaries who go to wherever, faraway place. Paul actually advocates what I would say for something very different. If you look in, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read this. In, in the letter that, church, uh, that uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to Thessalonica, listen to, listen to how he instructs the church on how they're to live. In chapter 4 of 1 uh, Thessalonians, he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And he says, like, what their behavior should look like. And then down in verse 11, he says this. Make it your ambition to be pastors, preachers, missionaries. No. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands. Just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Do you hear that? This is the Apostle Paul telling the church how they should behave, how they should advance the kingdom, and you know how he says to do it? Work your hands, keep your mouth shut, just get the job done, help win the respect of outsiders. 
That's what it looks like to win people into the kingdom. Do you understand that? There is value in your specific places and arenas in life that you find yourself. Jesus works through you with a bigger purpose to make him known through the places that he's put you and the experiences he's given you in the background, the pain that he's brought you through the skills that he's given you, the things that you love to do. He puts all that together with the underlying purpose of saying, go make me known. Make me known as a stay-at-home mom or dad. Make me known as a single person, a married person. Make me known as an old person, a young person. Make me known whether you're in good health or poor. What doesn't matter? Make me known in these places where I have put you. So where are you at today with this? I believe that you're exactly, probably most likely, where you're supposed to be, living a normal life in the kingdom of Jesus. That you have the interests that you do for a reason. Can I plug SDI right now? Like, come be a part of that and learn more about who God's made you to be and see how that works out in the arena that he's put you in and why he's wired you the way that he has. That you are talented the way you are for kingdom purposes. That even the the barren wasteland of your woundedness can be turned into fruitful territory for Jesus. That Jesus is calling you to be totally present where you are in your everyday lives. To make him known and to lead a normal life, but with the underlying purpose of making him known. So if you're not sure about that, if you don't know what that looks like in your life, can I ask you to like seek community group input Talk to others, talk to Pastor Adam, talk to me. Seek Jesus, read scripture, look for him to speak to you, have an encounter with him to give you a, a new purpose or help you confirm that purpose in your life. Ask him to show you who you can love at your job, in your class, in your school, in your neighborhood, how you can make the kingdom own by working with your hands, being quiet, just getting the job done, living normal lives in the kingdom. Okay, I'm going to blaze through this last part. An encounter with Jesus, with the risen Jesus, confirms or gives us a new image. An encounter with Jesus confirms or gives us a new image. You know where Paul goes on after this, goes on to after this? He goes to Cyprus. We see that the, the church at Antioch sends him out. He sends, they send out Saul and Barnabas, and they send them uh, to go plant churches. And one of the places they find themselves is in Cyprus. And if you want to look there, you can. Uh, it's in uh, chapter 13. We pick up this story. Saul's been, he's been given a new life. He's been given a new purpose. He's sent out to plant churches. And he finds himself leaving Antioch. And it says this. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. That's right at the beginning of 13 if you're there. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now listen to this. This is a totally bizarre story. Listen to this. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia sailed, and sailed there, uh, from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Uh, John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer. All right, Jewish background guy. Keep that in mind. He was a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was, uh, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, who is a Roman proconsul, a Roman uh, part of the government. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, listen to this, then Saul, 
who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Boom. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. Interesting. You're going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I love that what happened to Saul. He, this is what God does to this other guy. It's interesting, at least to me. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Totally bizarre story. Why am I telling it? Here's why. I find it fascinating that mid-story, Saul goes from being called Saul, and for the rest of the book of Acts, is called Paul. Now, I don't know about you, I will willingly admit that as an ordained pastor, I went to Bible college, I have always associated Paul's name change with his conversion. Like how Jesus told Peter, I'm going to call you by a new name. I've always associated it with that. It's not. It's three chapters later, and I think, I think Saul willingly chooses into this name Paul. I think he knew that because of a new purpose and a new life, he needed a new image. And he willingly chose into it. He moves from the, the, the regal name of Saul associated with the first king of Israel. It's a Jewish name. All Jews would respect it and understand it. And he picks the name Paul. It's his Roman given name. You know what Paul means? Small. I think he willingly chooses into a new image, motivated by the Holy Spirit. I think it's because he had an encounter with risen Jesus that reframed his life and gave him new life. So think about this. Crazy Jewish sorcerer who's opposing the gospel. Roman leader who wants to know more. And Paul's now stuck in the middle and says, well, I've got this Jewish background I've got this Jewish name, and I've got a Roman guy who I want to tell about the gospel. So he leans into his Roman side of his personality and says, I'm Paul. I really think this is part of what happened here. This is why Luke starts calling him Paul for the rest of his Roman travels, where he's going and planting churches all over the empire. He chose into this new image on purpose to be an apostle to the Roman world. Why does he do this? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I've become all things to all people. I've become a Jew to the Jews, a Roman to the Romans, strong to the strong, weak to the weak, all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, for my purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known. This encounter with Jesus radically reshapes his image. And I would go so far as to say he chooses into it, that he makes a conscious decision. And this isn't just behavior for the sake of the law or self-righteousness, but it's in light of his purpose. And I would call that grace-motivated obedience, we call that. that, that in light of what Jesus has done for him, in light of his new life, in light of his new purpose, he says, yeah, you know what, I'm going to live into this and take on a new self-image. So what does that mean for us today? I'd say it means that we need to have some heart-to-heart conversations with Jesus about our image. Talk with other Christ followers in our community, in our church. Look at scripture and and ask, is my image lining up with my new life and the purpose that God has given all Christ followers to make him known? Am I reaching people for the gospel with my image 
my demeanor, my language, my outlook, my behaviors, my schedule, my spending, on and on. So for me, this is what this looks like in my life. Uh, when, I was in high, when I was in high school, uh, I had an incredibly foul mouth. I was like raised to be like, you don't ever curse, you don't ever do that. Like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And I was like, well, I'm going to curse now that I'm out of the house. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And like, I like dove in deep, okay, like a sailor. And it was bad. And it got to a point where like I couldn't stop. Like, it was like an addiction. But I, 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 by the power of the Spirit and the energy of God within me, knowing who I was as a new creation, knowing my new purpose in Jesus, I was like, I don't know, I was probably late in high school. I was like, I should probably stop doing this. Like, I, this is not fitting for the gospel. This is not fitting for making more of Jesus. I'm actually some kind of, like, hypocrite that I let this anger and this, this wrath come out of my mouth when I should be letting the gentleness of the gospel come out. So, please hear me. This is not behavior modification because of guilt. Okay? This isn't because Jesus was mad at me and beating me up about this. It's not behavior modification because some church legalist has has told you to. This is conscious decision-making by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the energy of the Spirit working in us to reflect the new life that we've been given. And I think Saul is an example to us of this. He says, you know what? My image needs to better reflect the gospel that I want to make known to the world around me. This is what Paul was going after in changing his name and image. This is what Paul is talking about when he says he's become all things to all people. This is what Paul means by walking in the newness of life, by the power of Jesus and for the sake of his gospel. So, where might Jesus be asking you to better reflect his image as image bearers of God? Where might he be asking you that? Again, please, not behavior modification because of guilt, leaning into the new life that he's given you. So how do we do this? We want to say that an encounter with Jesus, with the risen Jesus, gives us a new life, new purpose, and new image. How do we do this? Do we need to get on the Damascus Road and start persecuting Christians to have Jesus show up? Right? Like, no, I don't think so. I think we can have an encounter with Jesus in lots of different ways. A couple weeks ago, when I preached on Thomas, I talked about how we go to Scripture to encounter Jesus. We join community in a church. We worship to encounter Jesus. We serve, practice different spiritual disciplines to encounter Jesus. But what I want to just harp on for just a second is that this encounter with Jesus was unpleasant. This encounter with Jesus that Saul has was unpleasant. And it completely changes his life. He had to be weakened. He had to be walked with. He needed help. He needed someone to give him understanding. He had to pray and fast for three days. He was blind. I mean, think about this. This is a a messed up, uncomfortable situation that Saul was put into. But the end result was something that he never expected. All that to say, you might be in the middle of an encounter with Jesus right now and, and running away from it because it's uncomfortable. I know I've done that. Where I'm like, I don't like this. I, I, I don't want to encounter Jesus in this way. I'm going to pray my way, choose my way out of this. I don't want it. You might actively be avoiding something. So our goal so often ends up being comfort in the status quo that I think we miss hearing from Jesus. 
So can I encourage you, among the other positive things of spiritual disciplines of being in community, to also lean into some of the uncomfortable places and situations that you find yourself in life and say, Jesus, are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to encounter me in a new way? And allow Jesus to speak to you through people that you wouldn't normally talk with. Be led by some people by the hand in a community group to say, man, maybe I need this. Maybe, maybe at this point in my life I need this. Even though it might feel awkward or even too vulnerable. Church, I really believe that if we lived like that, that if we lived understanding that we had new life, no more guilt, that if we lived with the purpose in all that we did, in all our different arenas, making Jesus known, that the valley would be different. That the whole valley could be moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. By living this out in our normal lives, as normal, everyday Christ followers, keeping our mouth shut, getting our job done, loving our neighborhood, loving our workplaces, knowing Jesus and making him known. Can you imagine what that would look like? So I would encourage you, lean into the uncomfortable situations that you find yourself in. Don't run away. Ask Jesus, what are you doing? Encounter him through scripture, encounter him through community, and encounter him through worship. And I think it will lead you in a new direction or confirm for you where you're going and give you new purpose and new life. Would you pray with me?